your dreams. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Mormon Stories Podcast. My name is John DeLynn. I'm very excited to have you uh, with us today. I'd like to uh, thank all of you for your continual support. We're getting about 500 downloads uh, per episode now on Mormon Stories. It's getting to be a problem because actually the bandwidth from my internet service providers maxing out each month. So that's my kind of way of saying uh, thank you for listening. And um, it's also my way of saying uh, I got to figure out how to fix this problem. But anyway, uh, Mormon Stories continues to progress. Uh, we'd like to thank those of you who have uh, posted to uh, our new sort of affiliated blog, which is Latter-day Saint Liberation Front or LDSLiberationFront.net. Um, shout out to RT and uh Serenity Valley for uh, their support there. Um, again, we'd like to just remind you up front, if you ever want to email us, it's mormonstories at gmail.com, uh, blah, 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 yada, yada, yada. So with that, uh, we would like to uh, tell you how excited we are to have um, as our guest someone who goes by the name of Anne. Anne is uh, an active participant in the New Order Mormon uh, website. She's also a moderator on that uh, on the forum there, and she maintains their website. Um, some have called her New Order Anne, but she's also uh, posted uh, several places on the Blogger Knuckle as well. But uh, I couldn't be more excited to welcome Anne to Mormon Stories. Anne, thanks for coming on. Thanks for asking me, John. So um, if we had to title this podcast, I think it's going to be uh, something like New Order Mormons. We're going to talk about, you know, what, what a New Order Mormon is, what the movement is, what the website's about, what their philosophy is, etc. Um, and that's sort of what this podcast is about. But what I'd love to do before we jump into that is have you tell your story as it relates to Mormonism. And I'll pepper you with questions and interrupt you regularly like I do all too often with my guests but what I'd love to do is just have you tell us a bit about you and your Mormon experience and what led you into, let's say, alternative Mormonism. Well, okay. And you can even start with your ancestors if you want to go way back. <laughs> um, well, I come from a long line of Irish Catholics. It, well, that's on my mother's side. On my father's side, they're German, German Lutherans with some Hungarian immigrants thrown in for good measure. Nary a pioneer in the bunch. I'm a convert. I joined the church in 1986. Um, I was tracted out, which I hear is uh, the missionaries made a big deal. Everybody made a big deal about how tracting was so ineffective and only one out of every 1,000 doors ever resulted in a convert. So... I, that actually made me feel pretty special, you know. I was, it was a very big deal. I thought that somebody had come knocking on my door looking for me. And what stage um, of your life were you in when the missionaries contacted you? Were well, you, you know, was, a child? Were I you was, in high school? Oh, I was in my I was in my mid twenties. Okay. So now everybody knows how old I am, John. Oh, nobody's going to do the math. <laughs> nobody's going to do the math, huh? <laughs> Um, I was in my mid-20s, and um, when the missionaries first came to meet me, I was severely pregnant with my older son. Um, I kept telling them to go away because I had a house with no air conditioning, and it was July. 
um, <laughs> they came back. They came back after after my son was born, and we and they were they were great guys. You know, they were great guys, and um, the timing was really interesting because my daughter had started attending attending or not attending. My daughter had, was in kindergarten, and she was going to daycare at with a woman who was an evangelical Christian, and she did a lot of Bible stories and things with the kids, and I had no problem with that, but I wasn't an active member at any church, and my daughter started asking me to find a church that we could go to at the ripe old age of six. Hmm. So we went, I, I was I was brought up Catholic, and so we went to the local Catholic church a couple times, and she didn't like that at all. This is a boring church, Mom, she would whisper to me. Um, nothing against, you know, I was perfectly happy there, but she didn't like it at all. And, you know, so I was just kind of thinking, well, gee, I don't know what to do about this. And I'm not kidding, but within a month, the missionaries came knocking on my door. Mm. This is this is kind of funny. I've, I think I've mentioned this before. I had seen these guys. They lived in an apartment above a barber shop just, you know, probably not six blocks from my house. Yeah. And I was always seeing these guys riding around on their bikes, and they always seemed to have packages. I thought they worked for a package delivery service. <laughs> but it was just that they were coming back from the post office. The post office was on our street. Right. And they were just riding back from the post office to their apartment. They huh. weren't package delivery guys at all. Cool. Yeah. They were cute, too. Oh, there's always that. Yes. Okay, and so they taught you. Yeah, um, and it was a pretty. Uh, it was it was an interesting experience. Uh, I was I I really I was converted. The and it it changed my life. What What were um, the elements that you would attribute to your conversion? Was it just how you felt um, in the discussions? Prayer, were particular prayer teachings? and desire. Okay. I'm sorry, I interrupted. Prayer no, no, no. and desire. Um, you know, they offered me, the, the church offered me something that I'd never really had before, which is, you know, a purpose. A pur- you know, the purpose of life. Mm-hmm. You know, where did I come from? What am I doing here? Where am I going? Um a, a structure for achieving those things, um, a compelling story. I I prayed to know if it was the right thing to do, and I got a very strong witness that the Book of Mormon was a scripture and that Joseph Smith was a prophet, and I decided to be baptized. Hmm. Wow, so you're baptized, and you, were you married at this point? Uh, I was married to a different husband okay. than the one I have now. And how was, he, how was your first husband feeling about all this? Well, it, it, it didn't really bother him too much at first. I think he figured it was just sort of a whim. Right. I don't think he was expecting quite so much of a life change as ended up happening. It was difficult the first couple of years trying to maintain a balance 
because, you know, the the church, it, it, it isn't just church. It's a way of life. And if you are not conscious of what's happening, it can, church things can take up all of your time. And I mean, there was a, there was a period where, you know, I was doing something at church you know, six six days a week, every day except Monday, just because, really? and that didn't happen all the time, but I, I wasn't very considerate of his feelings because I was so enthusiastic about my, my new faith. Right. So that was, that was a challenge for a while. Um, sure. We, um. Was it a, was it a big lifestyle change from you? Um, oh yeah. On how how you like whatever the whatever the circumstances were under which you and your husband met and got married, and then whatever lifestyle first you. I'm sorry, I don't your, mean to interrupt. First yeah, sure. Husband. Your, your first husband and whatever <laughs> and whatever lifestyle you led up until you joining. I, I imagine I, I'd love to just have you talk. Not you don't have to go into details, but tell us about. Uh, what what the disparity became between the old and the new life and how much of a shock that was on your first husband? Well, things had settled down a lot. I mean, just, you know, when I was pregnant, you know, the, the, the wildlife just simply doesn't go well with pregnancy. a little baby okay. or a little baby, you know, in the making. The bigger changes happened gradually because you know during prior to joining the church you know we had a pretty just normal life right the changes happened gradually and it's really hard to point out what what caused the problems you know was the problem that I was a mormon or that he was an alcoholic um, right. you know, um, those are just not two things that go together really well. He, he blamed absolutely the church for all of the problems in our marriage. Right. And that was, um, very frustrating and in my opinion, totally not true. You know, it, like I said, you know, <laughs> if there's a poem she um, she nags. She says she nags because he drinks. He drinks because she nags. He thinks, but neither will admit what's true that he's a drunk and she's a shrew. Um, <laughs> it's um, it's it's it was you know I, I don't think I was a shrew. I really don't. Um, but you know it there there is a lot of. Uh, compassion I think missing from me you know I had this model I acquired this model of what a marriage was supposed to be like and mine wasn't it yeah and and the drastic difference between the model and the reality that was that was a real problem for us so were you loving were you loving your membership in the church and your experiences there? Tell us oh, about Oh yes. I was I was I was a very happy, I think very faithful and and very devout member. I uh I 
you know, I read the scriptures regularly. Um, I prayed nightly. I made my daughter go to seminary. Um, it was, it was, you know, it was, it, it was the focal point of my life. I mean, and I don't, I don't think that that's a, I don't think I'm overstating when I say that the, the church was the, the hub around which everything revolved around. True. My, my social life, my activities, how my family functioned was defined by my faith. And your worldview and your sense of purpose yes. and meaning in the, in the... Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Okay. And, and uh, did things... So when the divorce happened, did things accelerate, stay the same? You know, did... How, you know, did church change at all once the divorce happened in positive, neutral, or, or negative um, ways? Everything got light years better. Okay. After my divorce. Life got better. Oh, immensely. And was there and then, only one child from this marriage? or? Um, well, I had a daughter before okay. we got married, so I had two children. Okay, two kids. And he had, my first husband had adopted my daughter, so I guess we had two, we had two kids. Um, he wasn't very kind to my daughter. That was, that was a that was a regular source of struggle for sure, us, sure. was that he was not very kind to my daughter. Mm. So things got much but, better. But once he was gone, I mean, literally life improved a thousand percent. Right. So that was all goodness. Um, I, because it was one less person to take care of. And the church uh, was very supportive in filling in whatever oh, gaps yeah. there were. Are you comfortable oh, yeah. saying what state you were in? Or I, don't... I was in Ohio. Okay. Was in Central Ohio. Okay, so you're in Ohio ward or branch, just to get oh, a sense. Oh, it was of the f- a it was a ward. Okay, so you As had it. I was, I was the first person baptized in my ward after a split. Oh, cool. Yeah. So when did things start getting complicated for you, or did they? Um, yeah, they did. Um, I married into a very large collection of dialogues and sunstones. Oh. And yeah, and I, I don't. I my husband has always been a very thinking, engaged, involved Latter Day Saint. He was a member of the Mormon History Association when he was in his teens. Um, you know, hmm. one of the first books I borrowed from him when we were dating was um, uh, Van Wagner's Mormon Polygamy. Oh my goodness! And um, one of the second ones I borrowed was um, Religion and Sexuality um, by I think Foster, uh, the Mormons, the Shakers, and the United Community. Mm. And it, I mean, it, the it just I had no idea. <laughs> I mean, I and and people people. I, people hear that and they're and they think, my gosh, how naive must she have been? But honestly, I had no idea about you know post manifesto plural marriage or you know polyandry and Nauvoo. All those things were just I was I was dumbfounded. 
So, it, um, so, so you'd be you'd have been remember how how many years by the time you married your second husband? Eleven years. Okay, so you've been a member of the church over ten years. Uh-huh. You meet your husband, and he's a dialogue sunstone guy, and all of a sudden your world gets inundated with all sorts of historical and doctrinal issues that you'd never heard of before. Exactly. And was he was he active at the time? And was he oh, like? Oh yeah. Was he trying? Oh, yeah. Was he encouraging you, or were you just really curious? And was he sensitive about what that might do to your faith? And how was that dynamic? Well, um, he he thought before we got married because I'm sort of a a curious kind of person, and I'm very liberal politically. I mean, you know, one of the things that, okay, this is probably going to be giving way too much information, but he'll just have to deal with it. We met on the internet. Mm -hmm. Um, There used to be, and I think still is, um, this was, you know, back in the mid nineties, a a board LDS friends worldwide. Mm -hmm. And they had had profiles and you could post a profile about yourself and email people. And a friend of mine, you know, when I was, you know, what appeared to be terminally single, pointed me to this board, sort of as a joke. Oh, wow, check this out, Anne. And I thought, okay, what the heck? And I looked at it and I thought, well, you know, single adults isn't doing it for me. And so I posted a profile, and we started corresponding. Mm-hmm. And just in the process of corresponding, you know, he found out that I'm a Democrat, and so is he. And he thought, and both of us, I think, made a lot of assumptions based on the things that we had in common. Right. And he thought that I was kind of a, a Leahona kind of gal. Um, when the reality was, was that, yeah, I was open-minded, but I was also very naive. Mm-hmm. You know, I... You know, I had spent my entire church life in, you know, the mission field, and I just took everything that everybody told me about it at face value. Right. You know, the the what what uh, Laurel Thatcher Ulrich calls the lusterware Joseph Smith, who's you know, uneducated but not ignorant and you know, you know, handsome but not vain, and you know, just this this fairy tale image of what things are like. That it's well, it's maybe that's not the right word. Um, I've actually read that article. That's a great article for our listeners. Lusterware. Oh yeah, that's one of my very very favorite essays. Yeah. And so what what as you were discovering these issues and exploring them were you getting freaked out and was he getting nervous or were you just well, getting fascinated and he was digging helping you learn more stuff what was the dynamic between you two as you started falling deeper and deeper into this well of knowledge let's say Well he was he a lot of it happened not long after we married we separated um, it was for job purposes. It wasn't, you know, I mean, it was for purely practical reasons. We lived apart for several months. And 
you know, he left and moved into a dumpy little apartment in another part of the country, and I stated the house we had rented with all of the sunstones and dialogues and a lot of time on my hands. <laughs> um, so you were apart so, during this, some of this. You were apart during some of this exploration. Oh yeah, I must have read four or five years worth of dialogues in a period of about four months, mm-hmm. and and when that was just that was a door opening. You know what I mean? That wasn't sort of a that wasn't a, a critical time. That was sort of the door opening. That was just like, you know, I've been seeing, you know, you know, a third of the picture. Here's another third. Right. That I had no idea was even there. I thought I'd been seeing the whole thing, and it's like, oh, look, here's this, there's another huge piece that you're missing, hmm. that you've been missing all this time. And it did, um, it did get me to thinking about some things. Um, and, of course, I read about other people's problems, and maybe you took them a little too much to heart. Mm-hmm. You know, just sort of, that's not right. Shouldn't, things shouldn't be that way. Sure. So kind of, kind of responded in that way to these, you know, very difficult things that other people, other people had, you know, dealt with 10 years ago or six years ago when they had actually happened. Right, um, right. Let me just let me break in and ask you a quick question, just because I'm dying to know. Um, so, a lot of sometimes I get an email or a comment from a friend or family that that a that a you know a publication like Sunstone or Dialogue or even a a website, a blog, or or a podcast that uh, introduces people for the first time to these com- complex issues and you know uh problems oftentimes is doing a real disservice to people because um there's a lot of people who would never otherwise have to deal with these issues because they would be insulated and would otherwise live a very happy and normal fulfilled meaningful life um i we can talk about this later we can talk about this now but i'm wondering as you look back on those mountains of dialogues and sunstones, do you see them as friends or foes? Do you regret that you had that experience or, or are you, or, uh, are you really glad that you had that awakening? And obviously later when we talk about where it all ends up, you can explore. I'm just curious. Well, John, if you know where it all ends up, I'll be really glad to hear. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I'll be really glad to know how that how that works out. Okay. Um, no, I um, uh, I I learned so much, and it really did give such an enormous amount of, I think, depth to my understanding of what it means to be a Mormon. Right. Um, what it what it not so much what it means to me, but what it has meant for others. Um, That, you know, those, that experience informed, informed my view of the church. It formed my view of the church or reshaped it. 
Um, but I don't necessarily think of that as a as a negative thing. Um, I think it's good to see things how they are. Sure. Or at least see things from the perspective of other people. You know, I mean, even if that isn't how they are, different people have different perspectives, and understanding other perspectives just just gives more depth to what you're looking at. Did you ever find yourself going, oh, that's what happened, or oh, now it makes sense, or sort of feeling like the holes were now being filled in for the first time? Did you ever? That's how I felt. As See, I was... um, the, um, the salamander letter. I, apparently, the whole Mark Hoffman thing happened right around the time I was joining the church. It, something, it, it, something along those lines happened in there, and I think it was the publication of the Salamander Letter, mm-hmm. or the fact that the Salamander Letter was now known to be a fake, or mm-hmm. something along those lines. And I do remember very early on hearing people talk about this stuff and being very confused. Right. And it wasn't like there would be long, in-depth conversations. It would just be, you know, a two-sentence comment in Relief Society, and, you know, (laughs) it went right by me. And now, you know, ten years later, oh, so that's what they were talking about, and you, and then knew what they were talking about. Okay. It also gave me um, kind of kind of clued me in as to why why I would occasionally hear a talk in general conference about come back, feast it, come and join in full fellowship with the saints and feast at the table of the Lord. It's like, well, people leave. Oh. Apparently, people leave. Right. Surprise. <laughs> so yeah, like I said, it, it, it I, I, I had a very, it, I, I keep using the word naive, and I, and I, and I hesitate to use that because it, it's got some, it's got some baggage with it. But it was a very, I, I accepted what people told me as the beginning, the middle, and the end, I didn't, I didn't, I missed, I missed a lot. Sure. I missed a lot of things because I wasn't looking for them and people didn't tell me. Right. So how did the spiral, uh, you know, how did it progress the more and more you learned? Where'd you go from there? Well, um, being called as primary president was hard. Mm -hmm. It was really hard. I was in a ward that had a we don't have any people mentality and getting teachers was like pulling teeth, you know, tons of, re- and, 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 and no, everybody thinks they don't have what they need when you're in quote the field. Right. Um, you know, it, I don't, I don't know if you've, you've lived outside of the corridor before, but it doesn't most, matter most where of you my, are, people, most of my life. Oh, okay. So you know. Yeah. Everybody thinks that there's not enough people to do what needs to be done. And yeah. especially in, quote, their, their bailiwick, whatever that happens to be. Right. Um, I got, I think, a very jaded view of, of how callings are made. Mm-hmm. That, was, that, was very, that was very hard. 
I had some wonderful experiences when I was primary president too, though. So, I mean, it wasn't like it was all negative, but being called as primary president was, was quite an eye opener for me um, as far as how things work. Yep. And that I think the really, the really big issue was a very serious personal disappointment there was something, there was an opportunity that came along that I really wanted a lot. Um, and, you know, I did everything I knew to do because it was something that wasn't in my control. It was just something that I really wanted to have happen. And, I mean, I fasted, I prayed, I pleaded, I begged. Is I this really, in your ward? Is this in your personal no, life? No, this was outside. This was in our personal life. Okay. This is just another thing. The you know the primary president that was kind of an uh, you know you add that to all the sunstone and dialogues and you think oh yeah you know you pick up all these things about women and stuff and then you then but I really think the straw that broke the camel's back was this well when I first really headed into a crisis of faith was this this personal opportunity that came along that I was just, I wanted so badly. And like I said, I did everything I knew to do. I fasted, I prayed, I, I begged, I pleaded, please, you, with this has to happen. I really, this really has to happen. And it didn't happen. Okay. And I got really, really angry. I was really angry about that. Hmm. Was it a righteous desire? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. It would have given me a chance to go home. You know, I, I, it was, you know, a chance to be back near my family, help out with my grandma. I mean, there was just so many good things that I, I think could have come out of this. Okay. And um, in response to my disappointment, you know, all people had to offer were platitudes. Right. You know, oh, the Lord has something better in mind for you. Well, you know what? <laughs> Apparently God didn't care what I wanted, so why should I care what he wanted? Mm. I was really angry. Right. I was really angry. Um, I carried that for gosh it must have been it must have been a year a year and a half it affected my ability to function as primary president i wasn't able to do it for much more than a few months after that uh, I, I went into another calling that was much more low-key um, worked out really well for the time i was in um, they put me in the nursery which was great because at that point I had a little boy who was in the nursery, so it was just it was just ideal. But it pretty much it launched launched me into a depression that lasted for the better part of a year, uh. and um, it things never things were never the same again. Right. Things were never the same again. Mm. And this is how many years? Um, this is how many years ago? From now, it was about four years ago, maybe five. Okay, four or five years ago, maybe. Now, were you were Not, you were you on the internet during this time at all? 
Yeah. And was yeah, the, I was. Was learning things or interacting with Mormon folk on the internet playing? Oh in? yeah, absolutely. Tell us a um, bit about sort of because you're a pretty active participant on the internet now. Yeah. Tell us tell us tell us about how that ramped up in your life and if and I, I can hear my audience thinking, Oh well, of course she got on the internet, she got exposed to all these negative people and negative thinkers, then she has a problem come in her life and because of all this internet-based negativity and cynicism, it 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 just laid right over what was happening to her and gave her all these negative reasons and excuses to feel disaffected and disenchanted. So, you know, I'm just trying to think about what my listeners might yeah, be asking. Yeah, it, that's interesting. I mean, you know, on the one hand, you know, you can say nothing good comes out of hanging out on the internet, but you know, I met my husband on the internet, so right. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm very grateful for the internet. I uh, I bet you haven't heard that too much before. I was actually a moderator for a while. Actually, I hear it all the the time. Oh, you do? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I do. (laughs) Okay. I was was a participant for probably better about a year and a half. I mean, this was... This was definitely in the pre-Bloggernackle days right. on um, a Usenet group, Sock Religion Mormon. Wow. And after, I don't know, maybe a year, year and a half there, I was a, uh, uh, they asked me to be a moderator. And I was a moderator. It's a moderated group, um, moderated for civility. You don't, and and there are a few non non-permitted topics. There are actually very, very few of them. One of them is, are Mormons Christians? That's not a, that's not a permissible topic. Mm-hmm. And no discussions of the temple ceremony. Right. Um, and then other than that, it's moderated um, for civility. And I was a moderator there for, gosh, probably three years. Hmm. And far from being an anti-negative... <laughs> That was actually a very positive, I think, experience for me. I met some wonderful people, some of whom I've met in real life, and one of whom I still consider a very dear friend. She's been she uh, she posts on the she's posted a bit on the on LDSLF uh, LDS Liberation Front under on the stages of faith. Mm-hmm threads because she's a huge stages of faith fan um but peggy is peggy rogers is her name and she's just a very dear friend and and you met her you know in in this form yeah we met in real life she's uh she's uh, a lot of fun she's a lot of fun and she's you know anyway uh she's been, she's been a real good influence on me too you know um especially as i was as my level of happiness with my church engagement deteriorated, she was able to, a, a couple of times, say, yep, had you thought about this? And help me make some, some decisions that I think really helped me out, you know, personally. Right. And so I don't think of the, the Internet as a, as a negative thing at all. But but, but, we don't... but I will say, I will say that, you know, as I was going through this, you know, my level of involvement on the Internet did change over time. 
and I started participating places that I hadn't participated before. And one of those was a place Peggy pointed me to, um, which was the New Order, New Order Mormons Discussion Board. And that, you know, that's not, I, I, you know, I hate to badmouth the board because, you know, it's like, okay, I, I don't know, it's, I, I, I help run the place now, but <laughs> it's, if you've got a faltering testimony and you're not sure about things anymore, I, I absolutely agree. Places like that are not a good idea. Right. You know, it's just, it's just, you know, if if you really if people have a concern, it, it that and they're afraid that the consequences might be a, a loss of testimony or a loss of faith, um, the internet really isn't the place to go to build that up. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's. I'm just wondering if I were just to put the simple question to you. Sounds like your life was going great until you ran into Sunstone Dialogue in the internet. And then all of a sudden, uh, all the things that were causing you so much joy all of a sudden became unhappy for you. What would you say to me to keep from blaming Sunstone Dialogue in the internet uh, to being the causes for your unhappiness? I, if I have any people from FAIR, for example, apologists listening, I know that's exactly what they're going to, you know, what they're thinking. What, what would your response to that be? Guilty or... It's it's much more complex than that, or it needed to oh, happen. What would you say? It, well, a yes, it's much more complex than that. You know, I married a faithful Latter Day Saint with a large collection of sunstones and dialogues, and he is still a faithful Latter Day Saint. I honestly think the problem isn't so much with the information; it was how it was synthesized or not. Right. Um, I think that if the complexities, the depth, the variety of experiences that are part and parcel of the LDS experience are something that is nurtured in you from a very early stage in your development in the church, that far from being something that can trash your testimony or rip your, you know, rip your faith out from underneath you, that it can be something that adds that adds color to it. it. It makes it more more vivid and alive. One of the things that I have heard is, you know, when people hear about, you know, problematic things with Joseph Smith, one of the responses I have heard about that is, you know, you know, sort of along the lines of the lusterware concept, which is, you know, what more, what could be more hopeful than seeing how God can bring about his purposes with mere humans, you know? Right. You know, I mean, the problem isn't that Joseph Smith isn't a prophet. The problem is that he's a man. Mm-hmm. And and men, women, humans, they have faults, they have failings, um, you know. And when you have a, a person who has such a huge 
impact, such a huge personality, such a huge force of Joseph Smith, their good qualities are going to be the kinds of things that can change the world, but their bad qualities are also going to be magnified, and it, at least in other people's eyes. And, you know, I like to, you know, it's not a black and white thing, you know? Right. Joseph sure. Smith is a technicolor kind of guy. Yeah. And you can't, and the problem is, is that all I ever knew was the correlated material. Yeah. The flawless praise to the man, Joseph Smith. And even a, under a generous reading, marrying 11 women who were married to other men are, is, is that's complicated. Yeah. And that's not anything I'd ever heard before. I think if you, if you can synthesize that kind of thing, from very early on, look at what God can bring about through mere mortals, through ordinary people like you and me. Mm-hmm. Because in the end, that's what he was. Right. An ordinary person, just like you. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, you know, one analogy that comes to mind is, is just the saying that with Watergate, it was never the burglary, it was the cover-up. And what I kind of hear you saying is, You've you've never ever in all your studies come across any fact or reading that demonstrated to you that the church was false and that you know Joseph Smith wasn't a prophet. The Book of Mormon was absolutely worthless or whatever. It's it the studies never led to that. They what was hard was the shock of the absolute disparity between what your understanding was and what the truth seemed to be and how ill-prepared you felt after being a 10-plus-year member of dealing with uh, the, those, the, that disparity. Is that fair to say? Did I recapture that okay? Yes. Yes, that's, that's a very good way of putting it. The, the, the black-and-white version of the coming forth of the Book of Mormon and, you know, Nauvoo and all of those things just didn't hold up to the things that I was reading. And just listen. And that for, sort of makes you wonder. Sure. You know what? What else am I not seeing here? Yeah. And just list if you can list five or ten of the top issues that that uh, you have struggled with. You know what? Just you know, for some it'll be boring. For some it'll be completely revelatory. You know, tell us the top five, ten issues. Um, well, I think the most, the, the first one that hit me was women in the priesthood and um, the relationship of the, the, the place of women in the church. Um, that, it, that was kind of frustrating for me, even, you know, in my most devout period. Um, uh, it, it, interestingly, it became, that became more noticeable to me after I got married mm-hmm. because now I had a partner. <laughs> yeah. Whereas before it was just me and God <laughs> and now I had a partner. So that was kind of, that was, that was, that was a real problem. The Nauvoo period was, was there, was, was quite a shock. And, and I, I paint that with a broad brush because there's so much of it <laughs> that was just so, oh my goodness, you know, John Bennett and, 
you know, the the marrying and the marrying and the marrying and, you know, land deals and just swamps and it was just sending people off on missions. It was just very... But the Nauvoo period is not something actually that seems to be covered very well in church history. <laughs> when you do that during your Doctrine and Covenants church history Sunday school year, they kind of don't talk about Nauvoo a whole lot. Yeah. The aristocracy kind of kind of bugged me a little. The uh, I have I have delusions of grandeur. I don't like that other people are born better than me. Um, so the, the whole pioneer, uh, the whole pioneer thing, and oh yeah, yeah, that that yeah, the it was, you know, the what was it, the sesquicentennial? Yeah, just about drove me insane. Right. Um, the uh, uh, the coming forth of the Book of Mormon was 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 an issue. Uh, finding about about the seer stone in the hat thing. That really threw me for a loop. That's one of those things that, you know, I, I think may have, I can't say for sure, but I think if I had known about it at the time, might have been one of those deal breakers. Right. Because it changes, it changes, I think it changes the meaning of translate. You know, yes. I, you know, I thought translate meant, you know, there's <laughs> a book and yes, God helps you, but you convert you know, this language into this language, like, you know, Spanish to German. But no, that isn't apparently what it meant at all. And yet that wasn't made clear at all. Right. It was more like magic. Um, uh, there are... Um, the the occasional um, nonsense, it's that's the polite term that you hear about, you know, the curse of Cain and that kind of junk. Um, you know, and actually I'm, I'm, I feel fortunate to have been able to say on more than one occasion when people have brought that up, Oh, I don't believe that at all in a, in a, you know, setting in a room full of people. That's, that's not something I've ever been shy about saying that's just nonsense. Mm-hmm. With. But, and I know, and it's not something that I've ever, I've ever heard in an official capacity, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's very easy to say the Church does not teach this, because that's true. Right. You never read anything in an official capacity that says this is what people say, but yet, you know, you hear these mutterings among the members, and nobody ever seems to want to set anybody straight about it. Yeah. Um, the, I, I think it's one thing that is kind of interesting, is though, is on the other side of that is things that I have no problem with. And um, one of those is the first vision. Mm -hmm. I have absolutely no problem with the idea, and I think I actually, yes, I do, I still believe that Joseph Smith had a vision in a grove of trees in, you know, upstate New York. I, I believe that that happened. Hmm. I don't know what the content of that was, that there were different accounts of it. You know, if you were to ask me these same questions in three days, I might not give you the same answer. Right. You know, <laughs> I mean, you know, 
stories change with time. That's why they're stories. Um, but that doesn't mean that they didn't happen. Sure. So those are those are just some of them. There was there was a straw that broke the camel's back, and that was I had been reading um, Donna Hill's uh, Joseph Smith's First Mormon. Mm-hmm. Um, I had asked my husband for a faithful biography of Joseph Smith. I wanted I wanted to read a biography of Joseph Smith by a believing person, which meant I didn't want to read No Man Knows My History. Right. And he mentioned, he said, well, you know, we have a really good one. I have a very large collection of Mormon books. And he recommended Joseph Smith, The First Mormon by Donna Hill. And... I got to a piece in the book where she was talking about Lucy Smith's account of Joseph Sr.'s dream about the Tree of Life. Mm -hmm. And I was just floored. I was just floored. The fact that Joseph's dad had a vision... That sounded a, a lot, a dream that sounded a lot like Lehi's dream in the Book of Mormon. Oh, yeah. I mean, there are some differences, but they're minor. And I was just dumbfounded by that. And, I mean, it, literally reading that, it was like the whole Book of Mormon fell apart in my hands. Mm. Just, I mean, it was that quick. And, and it was one of those things that, you know, when I talked to my husband about it afterward, he was like, well, you know, there are other explanations for that. Didn't matter. It, I mean, like, it, like, it literally well, that there are maybe four or five ways of explaining that. Well, like, why can't, why can't Joseph Sr. get the same vision that Lehi did just before the Right. Book? You know, didn't matter. Uh, yeah, it sure. Was, no. it, was, it was like, it was like, it was like erasing a, a, a blackboard. It was gone. Hmm. It was, it was literally, it was like the Book of Mormon fell apart right there mm-hmm. for me. Um, sure. So, if I had to point to a single, a single incident, I mean, and I'm not, you know, there, it, you know, straw that broke the camel's back. It, yeah. There had been things piling up, but when that hit, it was just like, now what? Yeah. And how, so let's say that that, uh, that's the straw that broke the camel's back. Tell us emotionally, as you're going down this road of, of deconstructing, how are you feeling emotionally? And take us to the point where you hit your emotional low. And and what led to that? And take us to that point. You know, about the time I started reading the New Order Mormons board and, you know, wrestling with all this stuff that had accumulated over the course of the past couple of years, I thought, I need to do something. I need to, you know, I need to, I need to fix this. Um, it doesn't help, I think, that we had just moved. So I was in a new ward, didn't really know anybody. It was, uh, it, it, you know, it was, it was a, it was a, it was a challenging time anyway, you know, at, you know, bought a new house and moved across the country, not, you know, as far as I had the first time, but so there were a lot of other changes going on, new job, you know, big commute every day. It was just, it was very, it was a, there was a lot of adapting going on anyway. Sure. 
and I sort of hit a point where I thought I have to do something about this. You know, I have to, I have to fix this. I can't go on, you know, wondering. <laughs> and that's when I decided, okay, what I need to do is I need to learn more about Joseph Smith. I need to read about him from a faithful person who's going to be able to write objectively. Um, and, you know, this was a good <laughs> five years, four years before Rough Stone Rolling. Right. So I read what we had, and and and, and I hit that, and the, like I said, the, the Joseph Smith Sr. dream, and, I mean, I, 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 I closed the book and I started to cry and I was so angry and I I felt stupid. Does that does that does that make any it was you know it's I felt sure. stupid. Sure. Like you know I I mean and it was part and parcel of being angry. It was, how, how how did I fall for this? How did I fall for this? It was, I think part of that came, honestly, I think part of that comes from being a convert. You know, this wasn't something that I was born into, you know, and, you know, had my whole life to integrate. Right. You know, this was something that I had chosen. Um, I had, I had turned from my my, you know, the faith of my birth, which, you know, I hadn't been an active participant for quite a long time, but, you know, and Esau and Jacob comes to mind, you know, mm-hmm. sold my birthright for a mess of pottage. I was just, I was just so hurt and I felt so stupid. And that was a really, that was really tough. Mm-hmm. That was a really tough time. Sure. It was really hard for my husband too. It was really hard for him because he didn't know what to do. Yeah. And he didn't know what to do. You know, it, he couldn't. You know, he didn't want to be in the role of defender of the faith. You know, and his wife. You know, mm-hmm. he, you know, he didn't want to. He didn't want to. He didn't want to argue with me about this, but at the same time, he, you know, this is his. This is. This is this was some this is something that's very important to him. You know, it was it was very hard for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, is I'm I'm very very lucky in that he has been a thing but you know loving and supportive and caring and you know there for me right. through all of this. Sure. depth of your dreams, the height of your wishes, 